Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now we come to the second week of Advent, and just as I promised, the tree is up. <laughs> and the church house has been beautifully decorated for Christmas, just in time for the annual visit of none other than John the Baptist, who we hear about every year at this time, because John is the forerunner. He's the advance man for Jesus who calls us to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And if that isn't what Advent is really all about, then I really don't know what is. Uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark give us a picture of John, uh, which include his wardrobe of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his diet of locusts and wild honey, which always sounds a little creepy. Uh, but in fact, it actually places John into the good company of Old Testament prophets, the great ones, like Elijah, who dressed that way and ate that way and acted that way, which actually then adds to the credibility of John as a prophet in his generation. But this year, as you have noticed, uh, St. Luke is the one who introduces us to John, and he doesn't talk about any of that stuff. That's because unlike the Gospel of Matthew, which had a primarily Jewish audience, the Gospel of Luke has a primarily Gentile or non-Jewish audience who probably would have found all that a little bit creepy because they didn't have the reference point of the prophets or of the so-called Old Testament. And so Luke takes a different approach. Luke is a his historian. He uh, wrote the book of Acts in addition to the gospel that bears his name. And, and so Luke the historian situates the story of John into the context of a group of imperial, political, and even religious leaders who are part of world history which would have been very understandable and relatable to his audience as he uses not one or two, but seven of these figures to anchor the story of John and by extension the story of Jesus. He begins by saying that all of this happened in the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius. Now Tiberius was the successor emperor to Caesar Augustus, who we hear about in connection with the birth of Jesus, who reigned when Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem. It's like if I say to you, you know, I was born in the seventh year of the presidency of Dwight Eisenhower, and then you have to figure out when exactly that is. <laughs> so the 15th year of Tiberius, by the way, 1959, in case you're <laughs> checking out of the sermon. The, the 15th year of Tiberius, the emperor, was the year 26, when Pontius Pilate was the uh, governor of Judea. That's the second name that he mentions. And the dates match up because Pilate actually ruled from 26 all the way to 36. And then he adds the third name, and he says, when Herod ruled in Galilee. Now, Herod is also known as Herod Antipas. He is actually the son of of King Herod the Great, who really wasn't all that great, 
who in fact was so threatened by the birth of Jesus that he tries to have Jesus hunted down and killed. You know that part of the story as well. Herod Antipas, the son, is known as a tetrarch, and a tetrarch ruled over uh, a quarter or one-fourth of the entire uh, province, his being Galilee, after which Luke names two other tetrarchs, including Philip, his brother, and a guy named Licinius, and they ruled in areas north and to the east of Galilee. And then Pontius Pilate basically doubled as the fourth tetrarch in Judea, in addition to being, you know, the emperor's guy in the entire uh, province. And then uh, to round out this gang of seven, Luke finally adds Annas, who is the high priest in Jerusalem, the Jewish high priest, and then uh, Caiaphas, who was his father-in-law, with whom he ruled, and who also held the office alone some years earlier than that. Uh, now, I know your eyes are probably starting to glaze over by all of this, uh, which is why a lot of preachers just kind of skip over it uh, in their proclamations, but I didn't want to do that today. Uh, first, because this list, as I already said, locks the story of John and by extension the story of Jesus into history. And it tells you that this is not a fairy tale. It's not a bedtime story. This is something that happened in real time and in real space. Secondly, it tells you that this list includes the voices of those who would rise up in opposition to John, to his ministry, and then also to the one whose way John prepared. In fact, you may also know that John ultimately would find himself coming up dead because of one of the guys on this list, and Jesus would be crucified at the order of another one on this list which means that finally, I believe it's there to make a striking, stark comparison between the voices of the world, the powerful voices of the world, and the voices of God and of his prophets, which then raises the advent question. Whose voices are you listening to in your life? To order your world, to guide your way the voices of the world, the voices of God, or his prophets and spokespeople and messengers in this world. And so, you know, last week I spoke about, you know, reading the signs that God is coming into your world. Today, John the Baptist comes in and he tells you what to do about it. When in fulfillment of the words of the prophet Isaiah, he calls us to go out and do some spiritual road work in the words Prepare the way, prepare a highway for the Lord. Make straight his pathway into your life. And that's an image that both Jews and Gentiles would have easily understood. Because in the ancient world, travel, as you might imagine, was very difficult. And roadways, such as they were, were very primitive and also very rough. They weren't as rough as the Pennsylvania Turnpike, but they were rough. In fact, in ancient times, whenever a king decided to make a tour or a visit to some part of his kingdom, 
workers from that part of the region would literally go out onto the roads on which he was set to travel, and they would literally prepare the way. They would fill up the holes. They would move away the obstacles. They would straighten out tight corners, and they would fill it up, and they would make that road as smooth as they possibly could because the king was coming. But John isn't talking about the emperor, and he's not talking about a tetrarch either. He's talking about the king of kings. That's when this whole thing becomes a metaphor for something deep and something very spiritual in your life. So that when you and I talk about preparing the way, we're thinking about the mountains in our lives that need to come down, the valleys in our lives that need to get filled up. Which leads to the other Advent questions. What are the things in your life, you know, that are just exaggerated? They're too big. They take up too much real estate in your heart, your mind, your life. They're obstacles to God's presence and, and grace in your life. You know, for some people, you know, it's money. Or it's uh, success. Or achievement. Or it's image. Or it's, you know, some sort of power. For some people, it's sex, drugs, rock and roll. <laughs> you know, it could be a lot of things. You know, what are the mountains? What are the obstacles? What are the things that are so exaggerated in your life that they are getting in God's way? And then what are the things in your life that are under-stressed? They're like holes in your relationship with God. And they need to get filled up. You know, for some people that's prayer. A commitment to worship, to sacramental life. Or it might be giving, it might be generosity, it might be service. It might be a commitment to a, a community of faith where we can do this road work together. It could be a lot of things. What are the mountains, the exaggerated things? What are the valleys, the understressed things in your life? And who are the voices that call you to this spiritual road work? And are you listening to them? Or you know, are you tuning into the voices of this world? Now, it's interesting to me, when you read this uh, passage from Luke 3 in uh, Greek, it, it turns out uh, that when it says the mountains will be made low, uh, the word for made low is actually the word humbled, brought to the ground, down to earth, made low. Interestingly, it's the same word that Mary uses just a couple of chapters earlier when she describes her reaction to God's call in her life to give birth to the world's Redeemer. Where do I need to be humbled, brought down to earth? Because that's where God comes. That's where he meets us. And I think of a comment that uh, former Senator Alan Simpson made in his eulogy of President Bush the other day when he said, those who travel on the highway of humility are never bothered by heavy traffic. 
What needs to come down to earth in your life? And then, you know, the word for crooked in the passage is the word scolia, where we get scoliosis. You know, what's crooked? What, what, what are my crooked motives? What are my crooked intentions? What needs to come down? What needs to get built up? What needs to get straightened out in my life? And then, you know, before all of this, uh, Luke says that John came as a voice in the wilderness. Where's the wilderness in your life? He came preaching a baptism, a washing of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And the word repentance is the word metanoia. It's almost like metamorphosis. And metanoia, or repentance, it's not just saying, you know, hey, I'm sorry. It's saying, my mind has changed. My heart is changed. My life is transformed. The opposite of metanoia is paranoia, which is to be crippled by captivity or by fear. Uh, just this last October, uh, when we were in northern Greece, we had a chance to see an ancient highway called the uh, Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way. And this highway, this ancient roadway, was built by the Romans in the second century BC. And it runs east to west, uh, all the way from the Adriatic Sea all the way over to Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. It is 700 miles long. It's just 19 feet wide. And the Romans built this highway by pounding large pieces of stone down into the ground and leaving spaces between them so that the Ignatian Highway, I mean, it was rough. You didn't make good time on it. And it could have been even painful. And nevertheless, you know, Roman armies marched on that very highway. The Apostle Paul traveled on that very highway. And last October, we did too, except for one thing, and that is that today, the Ignatian Way is a gorgeous four-lane highway only completed just nine years ago, passing through mountains, traversing valleys on these stunning bridges so that our travel was as smooth as silk and we were making good time. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, you could look out the window and off to the side, parallel to that beautiful highway, was the original Ignatian Way built in the second century BC by the Romans. And it at least makes me think of God's call to prepare the way in my life so that Christ can have an unobstructed pathway to me. And what it means for me to be a voice that calls somebody else to do that road work in their life so that God's path to them could also be clear. Because, you know, here's the thing. You know, Christ comes to you, but he doesn't force himself on you. You can't make grace happen. It just comes to you. But you can put obstacles in its way. 
And so, you know, it, it probably wasn't lost on the people that originally re uh, read Luke's gospel that all seven of those people that he names in, in chapter 3, or what we know as chapter 3, were dead by the time that he wrote it. But that the followers of Jesus were growing and growing day by day. And that may have had something to do with just two more words that you find at the very end of the passage today. When the prophecy is that when the Messiah comes, that all flesh will see the salvation of God. All flesh. Not some people. Not just Jews. Also Gentiles. Not just men, also women. Not just old, also young. Every person, every tribe, every race, every nation. You and I, once again, see the salvation of God in Christ. And so today we give thanks uh, for a small town priest who had a great big voice and stood up to the voices of this world. And now he speaks again to you and to me today. Today we give thanks that the way has been made clear for 48 people to come and be part of the family of God here at St. Andrew. Christmas gifts, blessings to us, and I pray to them as well. And I thank God for all the road workers, all the hearts, all the hands, all the voices that proclaim in their actions and in their words this good news that there is a new beginning, that there is a new chance, that the wilderness can be a, a place of hope, that it is possible to change, and that while kingdoms can and do crumble down, God is forever as we give thanks today again for the one who prepares the way and for the one for whom the way has been prepared, who has come down to earth to find you wherever you are. That is the message of Advent. That is a voice of hope for the wilderness of your life and it has been fulfilled forever for you by the King of Kings. So let's get out the bulldozers and let's prepare the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>